Welcome back from a long, long, long hiatus. This is Ladies with Gumption, episode number 126. Holy new Batwoman, Batwoman. (laughs) (laughs) We are the Ladies with Gumption. We recap DCTV in a flash. I am Jessica and I'm here with May. We are down a lady um, because Tatiana is moving in a whole panorama. I know. But she is. So it's going to be me and May holding down the fort. Um, you can contact us if you want to um, talk to us on Twitter at DCTV Gumption. Or you can send us an email at ladieswgumption at gmail.com. Or you can send us ask on Tumblr, ladieswgumption.tumblr.com. Um, you can listen to this podcast on the Podomatic site or Apple Podcasts. Um, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. I don't know if Amazon is out yet or not, but if it is out, then you can listen to us there as well. We are also on Patreon, and we are running a special on Patreon right now, half off. So it's only $5 to listen to all of our uh, Patreon episodes. Um, you can go, I think we had an uh, ask about Stargirl. Stargirl, we had started on Ladies of Gumption because it was still during like the main DC TV season. But once that wraps, we usually switch over to Patreon for the premium kind of episodes. And so you can find the rest of Stargirl season wrap up on Patreon, as well as other premium shows like Doom Patrol, Umbrella Academy, um, Witcher, um, Elite, You, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We do all we like branch out from DCTV. So any kind of pop culture thing that you like or want to hear about, then that's what we talk about on Patreon. Um, oh, also the Mandalorian, of course, the boys upload. So a whole lot of different things. Um, I think one division could be a candidate for that Patreon as well. So and the wilds, I'm putting that out there. <laughs> the Amazon series, <laughs> if you have not seen it, is pretty good. Um, so I'm pressing for that to be um, included on Patreon. So if any of that is of interest to you, please uh, visit our Patreon, patreon.com slash gtvgumption, and you can join right now for $5. So in the news, we have uh, a wide variety of news. Um, Umbrella Academy Season 3, Teen Sparrow has been revealed. So if you do watch Umbrella Academy, then you know that at the end of Season 2, we've gotten into kind of a parallel universe situation um, where the family have come back to the right time, but instead of the Umbrella Academy, their home is now the Sparrow Academy. And Ben, who is dead in their timeline, is alive in this one and part of a new team of um, superheroes. (laughs) And we have the casting information for them. So let's see. Reginald Hargreaves just went out and got him a whole new set of kids. (laughs) (laughs) And they haven't confirmed yet if they're the like part of the 43 kids, but I think I feel like they, they are. have to be. Yeah. I, I think, I think we talked about this. If you go to our Patreon and listen to that episode, <laughs> we talked about, you know, I, the way that things unfolded in the past with how they kind of like all kind of introduced themselves to Reginald. I feel like you probably was like, this is a <laughs> failed group of kids. I need to get some new ones. <laughs> and that's probably why we have this new team. But, um, so Rounding out the new Sparrow Academy, we have Justin Cornwell, who is playing um, Marcus, who is Sparrow number one. Marcus is a charming, chiseled colossus. Honest, <laughs> <laughs> it's what it says. Honest, virtuous, and demanding. Marcus keeps the family together. 
graceful but lethal, calculated but compassionate. He is smart as he is strong. Marcus is disciplined, rational, and in control. He uses confidence and leadership without ever having to raise his voice. So this is the alternate to um, Gorilla Boy. Oh, and it says, you know, he's from Jingle Jangle, Christmas Journey. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. I wonder if he played... I think he played the he played young, the younger version of yeah. the uh, what's his face Jingle. Yes, Jeronicus. <laughs> Jeronicus Jingle. Yeah. Um, and then we have just Justin Min, who of course has been um, he's back, and this time his new personality is Sparrow Number Two. He is not the sweet Ben that we know and love. This Ben is a Machiavellian tactician wrapped up in a pretty boy body with a rumbling inner squid. Vicious, pragmatic, and hypervigilant, Ben is determined to gain his status as a leader at all costs. So we have a new number one, number two dynamic. Emo so, Ben. Emo Ben. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Brittany Olford, hey, Flashbet, is back. Um, she will... Well, she's not back. She was never there. <laughs> but she is back in on our TV screen. And she will play Faye, who's Sparrow number three. Faye sees the world in a special way. She comes as a, she comes across as a misanthrope who would rather be alone than spend even a second with you. But truth be told, Faye wishes she had a friend. Most of the time, Faye is the smartest person in the room and willing to work things out. But if you cross her path, there's if you cross her, there's no looking back because she won't stop until the job's done. Mm. Jake Epstein uh, will play. Such a terrible I know. last name but... at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's playing Alfonso, Sparrow number four. Years of crime fighting have left his face and body with countless visual reminders of his battles. To compensate, Alfonso is armed with a caustic and biting sense of humor. The only thing he likes better than verbally battering anyone foolish enough to get in his face is a good pizza and a six pack of beer. <laughs> Sounds like a party. <laughs> Genesis Rodriguez is playing, um, and she's from The Fugitive or Big Hero 6. She's playing Sloan, Sparrow number 5, a romantic and a dreamer who feels a higher cosmic calling, leaving her ear to see the world and experience a life beyond her upbringing. But obligations to her family keep Sloan tethered to the Academy, as is her fear of crossing the family line. But Sloan has plans, and one day she might be brave enough to act on them. Cassie David plays uh, Jamie, Sparrow number six. Jamie is a loner hidden under a hoodie. She doesn't say much because she doesn't have to. Jamie has a fear-inducing snarl. Catch a glimpse of it and you'll run across the street to avoid what follows. That's interesting. Smart and sharp as a knife, she spends most of her time hanging out with Alfonso, her only friend. And then finally, we have a cube <laughs> named Essential Dread-inducing Cycronium Cube. He is a newcomer to the acting world. <laughs> his first acting assignment as a cube. Um, and the cube will play Christopher, Sparrow number seven. Christopher is a telekinetic cube of an unknown origin. He can turn the room freezing cold and induce paralyzing fear. He acts as the Sparrow's consulted oracle who hands out incredible advice and serves as the family's mediator. Trustworthy, loyal, and is treated by the Sparrows like any other sibling. Christopher is a force to be reckoned with. So that is the new seven. Um, I don't know. It's all of the the descriptions of the sparrows seem like a little bit like one shade off of the other. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see how different they are and what kind of dynamics they have compared to our umbrella team when we meet them in season three. Yeah, Sloan to me it sounded a little bit like. Um... Uh, oh my god, I'm blanking. Ben? 
No, but, no, no. She no. sounded. She sounded like. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Emmy Raver. What is her? Oh, number three. Rumor. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. She's not a little bit like her in terms of like wanting to get away and, you know, having plans, but kind of being tethered to the family. Well, they all um, kind of sound like a little bit like it's not that like, you know, Marcus sounds like um, what's his face. And then um, Ben, this Ben sounds like Diego. So mm-hmm. they're like similar. But, you know, so I guess like part of this is Reginald's fault for creating the same dynamics, but different people. So um <laughs> We'll see yeah. how that all kind of pulls together and how they interact with their counterparts from the other side. So that'll yeah, be I think that'll, that's going to be the most fun, to be honest. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, in Flash news, the Flash casts John Core to play Chill Blaine. Um, and, you know, obviously he's a chilly villain. So um, <laughs> I feel like, let me see, his official character description tells us that scientists, of course, Mark Stevens is a charismatic bad boy. How many bad boy scientists? <laughs> How <know>? uninspiring. <laughs> a charismatic bad boy obsessed with cryogenic technology, but when he's not breaking into corporate states, he's busy breaking hearts with his irresistible charm and broguish style. Armed with his own cold weapons, he'll become the new thorn in the side of Team Flash as a DC Comics villain, Chill Blaine. Um, in comic books, he is sometimes partnered up with uh, Golden Gliner, a.k.a. Snart, um, but you know, there's no plans for her to come back at the moment. And to me, like, it sounds like, I mean, obviously he's a cold villain. Killer Frost is a cold villain. And I feel like this is the, the quote unquote date or love interest hot date that, um, Danielle was teasing when they had that one group, um, fandom, fandom. yeah, fandom, fandom thingy. Um, so Yeah. Groundbreaking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh right? my god. Like, I'm so like cold mad. Like, meets cold. Just let her like let Killer Frost be like a lesbian, please. <laughs> right? I think right. that would that would be fun. And then I don't know if she's gonna like team up with him or whatever, because we saw some behind the scenes. You know what? Of I, filming. Think I saw yeah, because there's behind the scenes pictures of Frost being like arrested by the police. And I feel like I I can't remember. I'm so sorry, Twitter person that I don't remember what your handle was, but I think there was like a theory going around that maybe um, he enlists Frost, but kind of like sets her up. So she gets the blame for his crimes because cold stuff is involved. So (laughs) (laughs) that could also be part of it, um, which I think makes sense. Uh, Yeah, it does. She's working with a villain, but she doesn't necessarily turn evil because they've already been that down that path. So. Right, right. I think she maybe like she's like you know they thought they were flirting, and then the police come up and he's like, "Bye." <laughs> <laughs> Killer Ross be like, "We were having a good time." <laughs> so I think that's probably you know a good a good prediction for that. Um, but we'll see. Who knows? They could you know surprise us, which at the bar is low for that, but. <laughs> Um, in other news, another DC DCEU news, uh, the Snyder Cut. When is that supposed to be coming out anyway? Um, initially, I think when it f- was first announced, they said May. But now that they have, I think they not only have additional, like, all the VFX stuff, but they actually went back to do some specific reshoots. So I, it doesn't have, like, a premiere date anymore. Oh. 
Well, we do have someone that is confirming something about Snyder Cut. Harry Lennox um, confirms that he is playing the Martian Manhunter, um, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And also kind of it's like a, another confirmation that another black person was cut out of uh, the Jocelyn <laughs> version of this film. But um, I think it's going to be really exciting to to have, first of all, Martian Manhunter in there and then also to see him um, playing the character. Because I think a lot of uh, fans had suspected or at least hoped that he would be in it. So this is good news for anybody waiting for that movie. Um, And then also in less good news on the DCEU side, um, the Ray Fisher versus Walter Hamada thing is still kind of unfolding. And um, Ray, two days ago, he sent out um, another tweet because I think, you know, it's, it's been kind of like, confusing how it's been all unfolding because he was um he so i think i don't know if it was an article or he said it like an article insinuated that he said that jeff johns would be fired or let go and then wb was like no he's still attached to these projects and then ray was like you know i didn't say that i said we'll be like down the line and um then there was something about him being dropped as cyborg or quitting a cyborg he's like i didn't say that either um, but we do know yeah, cause I think it came from his initial, he was like, I don't, I won't work with, won't work uh, with Walter, Walter Hamada in the future. Yeah. And then they announced that he was dropped from the flash and then he confirmed that he was dropped. So it was like yes. a whole back yeah. and forth. So this is kind of part of that. Um, he said that he had received official confirmation from Warner brothers that he was going to be removed from the flash. And I think we, when we talked about it, um, that, was probably because Walter Hamada is more directly involved in the flash movie. Was that right? Yeah, because he's relatively new. I think he was promoted or he he became president or whatever his title is now, like within the last maybe year and a half or so. Um, so he hadn't been involved with the whole Justice League um, right. filming. But I guess now he's, you know, according to like Ray Fisher, he's uh, impeding the investigation for the Justice League. And he is more involved for sure with the Flash movie. Yes. And then, like, in, um, and you can find, because he, it's, it's a long statement that Ray wrote out on Twitter, but it basically, he kind of breaks down the timeline of, you know, him having a 50 minute, seven minute long phone call with Walter and making attempts to escalate his claims about the misconduct, not only Josh Whedon, but also Jeff Johns and John Berg. And basically, um, it seemed like Walter was trying to get Ray to, drop the Jeff John side of it or downplay it or um and he was kind of um halting investigation until um you know like he's like yeah I agree like Joss Whedon is bad but not Jeff Johns you know <laughs> that kind of thing and and Ray wouldn't budge from that. Um so I'm trying to trying to narrow down like his his bullet points here um but basically he says that his responsibilities um raise responsibilities in in this whole situation has been to try to protect those that were brave enough to lend their voice to the justice league investigation and to use the little power i possess to ensure that the workplace behavior exhibited during the justice league reshoots and its investigation never happens again um and he's still is on Walter's neck basically saying like he, you need to take accountability and um, 
your actions are part of the problem. So um, he's definitely sticking to his claims and um, taking a stand if it's going to be his only thing, because he, he's like very well aware that, you know, he might not play like cyber again, or like he's, he's willing to walk away from that uh, opportunity if it means sticking up for what's right. So accountability over entertainment. Indeed. I just, I think the response to all of this has been so frustrating because I feel like the investigation would go a lot quicker or they would like his demands would be better met if he also had like a lot of support. Cause I feel like he's just going on the, through all this on his own and he's kind of carrying that burden. Right. Um, and cause you had like, you know, big name people like Ben Affleck and even Zack Snyder who probably won't speak up cause he's got like a big, you know, paying WB deal or whatever, but just having that, that support and people who, can back him up and be like this is not right this is what we need to do because then that would just put pressure on the wb itself um because right now it's it's like even with the way the media is spinning it is accusing ray fisher of like kind of messing with his own career and and like Mm -hmm. like i read i think it was hollywood reporter that wrote ray's attacks on walter hamada i'm like that is an aggressive word to use you you know so it's painting him like the you know big bad guy and wb as this like oh my god i can't believe he's saying these things about us and i it's just really unfortunate yeah um so to be continued i guess on that to see where all the ships eventually fall rounding out the dce dceu um news wonder woman 1984 is um Thinks very highly of itself. <laughs> <laughs> and they submitted for um, Oscars consideration, including L-O-L. Best Picture, <laughs> Best Actress, and Best Director. Which, I mean, I guess, you know, it's a slow movie year. Maybe they think that, you know. I don't know. Maybe maybe for big, like, temple best. movies. But for there's a, there was a bunch of like indie stuff out, so I don't know that I would nominate these people for well, such I'm categories. Sure that, you know, Danielle <laughs> nominates herself every year for an Emmy, <laughs> so <laughs> reach for the stars, people. <laughs> um, and then also, just this has nothing to do with DCTV, but I mean, I feel like tangentially because I feel like the first Justice, the pre-Justice League movie, the one before this one that kind of fell apart. I'm pretty sure Army Hammer was supposed to be um, Bruce Wayne in that movie. Oh my you remember, God. like, the because there was, like, leaked script pages with um, Barry and Iris, and that's, like, the one where, like, you know, they like to vibrate through each other. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, from this movie that Army Hammer was supposed to be in. So, <laughs> dodged a bullet for Bruce Wayne, I guess, um, that Army did not get to play him. But um, not Bruce Wayne the cannibal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But a lot of weird stuff came out about Army Hammer this week. Um, someone posted screenshots of DMs that he sent about uh, wanting to eat someone's heart and just like weird sexual kink fantasies and um, cannibalism, cannibalism. And then people started bringing up other. Um, he called his girls his kittens 
or whatever. That was like his code name for them. Um, one girl, he wanted to cut off her toe so he could keep it in his pocket and have a piece of her with him. Very weird, very weird stuff. Um, he also drank blood. Yes. Yeah. And affinity for eating like hearts. So, um, and this led to him sending out a statement. Removing, he said that he removed himself. I don't know if he was helped in removing <laughs> himself. I feel like he was helped in removing himself from a movie that he was supposed to be filming with J-Lo in. Um, yeah, because his statement didn't make sense, right? He's like, I won't respond to these like, bullshit, bullshit claims. Yeah. But I'm removing myself from the movie because I can't leave I my kids. I'm like, I don't know how you. Good conscience, leave my children for four months. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It was a it was a really weird statement, and then I think there was another, um, um, also another article about one of his ex girlfriends that you know she said that she had to go into treatment for PTSD for two months after his relationship. So just to kind of give some color, I guess you will, to whether you know what kind of I don't know, the veracity to the DMs and, you know, because there's obviously there's going to be people that don't believe it or um, I think um, at one point there was someone going around saying, these are fake, I fake this, but then that was revealed to be, you know, the person that was sending out those were his publicist or something like that. So it's a very weird kind of situation. Um, <laughs> but it was very funny because uh, Dion Warwick on Twitter, she was like, I would... <laughs> I went into the trending topics to see what was going on, and um, I opened the Army Hammer one, and now I never want to open trending topics for the rest of the week. <laughs> she I was feel like, like whenever awesome. someone's name is trending, I'm always like, oh my god, they're either <laughs> dead yeah. or something bad is, <laughs> bad is happening. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, Dionne Warwick's Twitter is, is a gift. She's you know? <laughs> a delight. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we don't really have any feed I don't think we have any feedback for this week which is fine by me because today we as the title suggests we are talking about Batwoman season premiere season 2 premiere comes up on um, Sunday this weekend so to get you caught up we're going to go back over the Batwoman season 1 highs and lows kind of how we got from Kate Kane to Ryan Wilder um, introduction to her and then what to be hyped for in season two so may is going to guide us on this bat journey yes indeed on side a we have darkest night which i will give you a very very brief recap of everything that happened in season one um glossing over many things that we will discuss later on so kate kane returns to gotham city after her twin sister alice kidnaps sophie her one true love with the absence of her cousin bruce kate takes up the mantle of batwoman with the help of luke fox and later her stepsister mary alice perceives her father and her sister not finding her as a kid as abandonment and plots her bitter revenge sophie is married and then she's not flirting with batwoman and then getting into a relationship with julia who is running from sophia who's going to be introduced in season two as a mysterious, previously mysterious figure. Uh, Kate is, of course, jealous. And then there's Tommy Elliot, who is Bruce's childhood friend, according to him, and who really <laughs> desperately wants to be Bruce Wayne. So he comes back to Gotham and then teams up with Alice and Mouse to get a new face as the Playboy billionaire. And then Alice, of course, continues to or wants to continue getting her revenge on Kate to the point of like her wanting to kill her sister because she locked her up in Arkham Asylum. So that's just kind of like the really, really brief breakdown. 
in terms of like major arcs, there was Kate versus Batwoman. Kate's uh, kind of like struggle with killing in general because we see her have her first kill, which is very unlike other Arrowverse heroes who are you know, anti-killing and will come up with a bajillion and one reasons not <laughs> to kill like anybody. Especially <laughs> Yeah. So this was very different and, and quite dark. Um, and then, of course, there's Kate's uh, relationship with Sophie and a little bit of a love triangle that came later on. And we have Luke and his father, uh, his father's arc, in ter- you know, in terms of finding out that the man he thought had killed his father didn't actually kill his father. And that whole mystery surrounding uh, Luke Fox, uh, Lucius Fox's uh, journal. And then we have Mary, who kind of feels like the odd woman out. She wants to be a part of the uh, Kane family, but she always feels like she's at arm's length with Kate and is not really in the in-group because Kate's always choosing her sister, Alice. Um, and she wants to be the sister that Kate basically chooses. And, you know, there's like that push-pull dynamic going on through the whole season. So what did you think about all of that? <laughs> all of that? <laughs> 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 Go step by step. We'll start with Kate and Alice's dynamic. Kate, Alice, and Mary. Um, and of course, like the replacement sister triangle. Yeah, I feel like this was one of the more compelling. Like if we're going like joy, no joy, no joy on arcs and themes. I feel like the Kate, Alice, and Mary dynamic was one of the more compelling um, themes or triangles. Especially like the whole like idea of like the replacement sister. Because both Alice and Mary in their own way felt like they were being replaced by the other one, right? So, like, and Kate is just kind of, like, stuck in there, like, I love you both! <laughs> like, choose! <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Kate's always being forced to choose by someone, yeah. whether it's, like, Alice and, and Mary or, like, even with the whole mouse dynamic because that kind of factors into it. Yeah. And I feel like from Mary, from Mary's perspective, I feel, like, so bad from her. Like, she is you know, the underdog for most of the season because it's it's hard to say, like, it's not because that she's not Alice or not Kate's twin or something like that, because that's how even Kate kind of makes her feel or makes me feel that she makes her feel <laughs> watching the the show. And of course, a lot of that early additional tension between Kate and Mary is because Mary for a long time, the longest time does not know that Kate Kane is Batwoman, um, but Alice does, and that was one of the things that I was really surprised in the because in the first episode, Alice is like, "Hello, Kate, I am your sister, and I know you're Batwoman," and so there's already, you know, no tension between them. There's zero walls between Kate and Alice, even though they're sworn enemies this first season, but there's all of these walls between Kate and Mary when there, you know, really shouldn't be. Um, Kate knows about Mary's underground clinic um, and Mary's kind of secret life, double life of being a socialite by day and underground medic by night. Um, So there's this kind of this like separation between the two of them. And it's kind of hard not to feel jealous when, because Kate and Alice, like they're not, they're not only biological sisters or twins. So there's like this twin dynamic that you can't really penetrate. Like you can't replace that. Um, and Kate, for the longest time, was like, Alice can be reformed. I can save her. Because she's, I mean, cause she still has, like, you know, survivor's guilt from when they were small. And Alice, you know, was lost in, to her for, like, ever. So 
um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think that Alec, that Kate ever did for a while make Mary feel like she felt that way about Mary as well. Um, but I do like you know later on in the season when Mary does kind of figure out that she has to like confront Kate that she's Batwoman, um, and she gets to share those feelings and you know claim her space within the bat team and kind of step up and own it um so i felt like really you know really really like mary was in like a really good place so it's even harder it's gonna be even harder in season two i feel like um that she's just now getting to like a point of understanding with kate and now kate's gone so we'll see how that develops um, and then I guess Kate and Alice, like they they had that one episode where they had to kind of like team up and, um, I can't remember. I think they were looking for mouse, um, to try and figure out like where he went cause he disappeared and that you see like their old, it was with the, with the, the toxins they, and stuff like that. They went right? to that, yeah. And they went to that old lady's house and <laughs> they had to pretend to, <laughs> <laughs> but their dynamic, like Rachel and Ruby's dynamic, I think, um, probably what made like Kate and Alice that dynamic like one of the best parts of the show um so it was it's be interesting to see how unhinged or how Alice's whole personality trait (laughs) of trying to kill her sister (laughs) has to switch up in season two when she no longer has that at least the Kate part of it to obsess over yeah, I agree with that. I think like Kate and Mary, I always felt bad for Mary because she just desperately wanted to be a part of the family. She always wanted to feel like she belongs. And it was so weird the way that Kate treated her for like, especially the first half of the season, because, you know, Mary's been a part of the family for like 10 years at together. that point. Yeah. yeah. So it's been a while. So Kate's treatment like the way that she kind of kept a distance was really odd because I mean, I guess in Kate's heart, you know, Beth Alice was like her one true sister or whatever, but it's like, you can have more than one sister. Like it's, it's not that like Mary was replacing Alice, but she was, she also wanted to feel like she belonged. And I don't think that Kate was very giving in her love or her kindness towards her to make her feel like yeah you are my family like i will protect you but what's funny is if you like ask alice that's exactly what kate did like you give her all of your love and you don't love me (laughs) (laughs) alice has a lot of issues (laughs) but i feel like you know it's interesting because like the the struggle for kate's love is, is so funny from both sides because like kate is very hot and cold you know sometimes you feel like she will really be there for you. And other times you feel like she won't kind of like what happened with the whole Alice dynamic, like first half of the season, she's like, no, you can change. And then the second half, it's like, well, our time is done. (laughs) I had my doppelganger sister from another earth and I felt like I could connect with her. (laughs) And now I know what true sisterhood feels like. And you are not it (laughs) (laughs) pretty much. And then like after like, you know, Kate and Alice's sisterhood had to like, die so to speak for mary and kate to blossom into something that could actually be really solid and so that just it's really sad that kate feels you know she couldn't have been a sister to both of them at the same time um so that sucks but i'm glad that mary has finally felt like she 
does belong and that Kate does actually care for her. Uh, and you could see that kind of like in the final, you know, half of the season, especially like the maybe the last five or six episodes, because Mary was part of the team. She knew the secret. She was helping out. And she also like used her uh, social media savvy to like assist Kate in a bunch of stuff. So that was mm-hmm. really great to watch. And as far as like Kate, Alice, I also love like their dynamic in general because it was a very love hate relationship that they had going on. Um, the moment, you know, Alice wants to kill Kate, Kate wanted to save her. When Kate didn't want anything to do with her, Alice was like, no, love me, pick me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, I want to be, maybe I'm acting out because I want you to save me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very like, you know, they were never on the same page. I'll just say that. Uh, so seeing the dynamic play out on screen was uh, quite an adventure. <laughs> But I think that the, like the show generally did a good job with it in making you like understand Alice's side of things and also like Kate's side of things and how uh, the two never like could really connect while maintaining that Alice was like still very much a villain. So that was good. And then you have, of course, like Kate, Jacob, and Alice oh, yeah. on the opposite <laughs> side. Kate, Alice, Mary is joy. Kate, Jacob, Alice is no joy because like that whole like forgotten sister triangle thing. It just made, like, a lot of it didn't make sense. Like, Alice, you know, to the extent of feeling abandoned, I get that. But we had, like, a whole, then they did, like, this whole backstory where Kate and Jacob actually didn't abandon her. They went to go find her, and the caterpillar, you know, lied and said that she wasn't there. And he told her, like, you don't say anything, or I, you will never see your sister and dad again. And they were, like, on the, on the other side of the door. <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, for that, like, I don't see how Alice feels like that's Kate's fault, <laughs> that she didn't say anything. She's blinded um, by rage. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like there are some parts of the backstory that they delve into when they go into depth that make her rage make a little less sense. Um and then, then there's the fact that Jacob Kane is just totally unlikable. <laughs> He's just not. I very... almost forgot he was back for season two. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's not very warm. He's not very. Um, and a lot of that it has to do with um, both the girls and their alter forms, like Jacob versus Alice and Jacob versus Batwoman, are both like negative dynamics because he can't stand either one of them and so (laughs) and then like there's there's barely any kind of kate and jacob to counterbalance what he is actually like as a dad there's and there's even less jacob mary i feel like there's like little pieces of it but especially after um mary's mom died i don't don't mary was like the only one who wants to get his ass out of jail right (laughs) it's like they don't even interact (laughs) mary and sophie like, his two adopted children are the only <laughs> ones that care <laughs> that he's being framed for murder. Um, I feel like there was one um, towards, I guess we can throw Mary in there as well, like, towards the end um, when Jacob is, again, on, like, his Batwoman kick. And, like, Mary stands up to him and uh, they have an argument and they have it out on the roof. Um, just kind of, you know... Jacob's kind of stuck in this one train storyline of hating Batwoman. And then with Alice, even after, like, he, you know, his denial is, makes sense as a story, you know. 
he felt that his daughter was dead and he was never going to get her back. And so this crazy woman is claiming to be his daughter. That's just not, you know, whatever. But after it's confirmed that it is Alice, um, he's still down to kill her. <laughs> like, you are not a winning father of the year, sir. Like his favorite child is Sophie. <laughs> yes, and she's very not much. even his child. So... <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I did not. I mean, none of us like Jacob. He's the definitely the worst he's the least the favorite of all of us. And for good reason. Because like he's like you said, he's not father of the year. He didn't seem to care about helping Alice the way that Kate did after he found out about, you know, her history and what happened to her and all this other stuff. It's like he is just so devoted to like he's had, you know, He's been on, like, one track for the, his whole life or, like, the last however many years that Alice has disappeared. And he just can't, like, get out of it. And it ruins all of his relationships. And he flip, constantly flip-flops. Like, I don't even think the writers really know what to do with him. He's just that. I think uh, he's just there to be, like, the basic antagonist. And so his personality traits and whatever he's thinking just flip-flops based on whatever the story arc is. Yeah, exactly. And, like, at first you had him wanting kate to be he a part of Sophie off because of like batwoman like he's just like an asshole <laughs> yeah it, he just makes no sense ever <laughs> and like one second he you know he even like wants uh kate to be on uh with the crows and then the next second he he doesn't or he like barely interacts with her and then even like any bonding that was to be expected when he found out about alice or he and kate worked together against Alice or whatever the case may be like it just never clicked and that whole like triangle could have honestly just been done without him at all because he didn't really add any additional layers to like the family dynamic he didn't have a relationship with Mary he you know Sophie was like his favorite daughter but you know it was because she was so dedicated to the job and he was dedicated to the job so they had something in common um but, like, that was not the case at all with, like, Alice and Kate. And it just flip-flopped too much for a guy who's supposed to, like, read that he loves and cares for his daughters in any type of way. And it didn't come off like that at all. So that was a fail. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was, like, the relationship between Batwoman and Jacob. Um, and how, like, Batwoman was situated as the savior of Gotham. And then how she be sort of became like the enemy of the crows. Right. Because that was like the whole kind of, you know, police versus vigilante dynamic thing. Um, and I guess Jacob Kane was supposed to be like the voice. He had a little bit of it, like the citizens of Gotham were first like, you know, who is Batwoman? And then like, yeah, we love Batwoman more than you guys. And what's so funny is that Jacob, you're not even the police, Jacob. You are like glorified right? security. <laughs> the crows are not <laughs> the GCPD. So... I feel like there's another layer there that they're not exploring at all. And I hate that, like, another thing that I hate about the crows is that they act like, not only that they act like the police, but also, like, military. Like, they, um, at some point, like, towards the latter part of the season, they're just, like, going in with, like, military weapons and barking orders. And, like, how do y'all have this authority? You're talking about Batwoman being a vigilante and 
breaking laws, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that you are also not like the moral authority of who gets to be the hero in, of the city that the city needs and who doesn't. So that whole argument is another reason why I feel Jacob Kane just like does not work. You don't work, sir. <laughs> You're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my God, I hated when he was like after Batwoman. Like at one point, Mary tried to plead with him to listen to reason and like Batwoman is trying to protect the city and all this other stuff. And he's like, no, I will sacrifice you <laughs> to get Batwoman. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> and I think and it, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like, um, like you said, you know, they did act like the military and it was just, it's just really weird because it's the show walks, uh, not even a fine line. It just kind of doesn't understand or doesn't want to dissect really like the, the way the crows are and how they're situated in Gotham. Like it's bas- it's pretty much like a police state in a lot of ways. Yeah. They just do whatever they want. They, you know, like the security company is just kind of taking control they're, of everything. Yeah, like, where are the politicians? Where they're going the, after a lot everything. of like crimes and you know active situations that I feel like no one called the crows. Yeah, <laughs> cops. So why are they like investigating all of these like random crimes? Yeah, and it's it's so funny too because like the crows kind of came into power after or was supposed to believe like after Batman left Gotham. Right. So it's like, why does he hate Batwoman? I guess, I mean, it would be more interesting if he hated Batwoman because he realizes Batwoman's presence means that the crows would be obsolete. <laughs> well, then, but then that would, like, kind of insinuate that he's corrupt, which yeah. we didn't even go down that route with the whole, um, what is the name of that, the company, the tech company that the wife had? Um, Hamilton, 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 whatever. Dynamics or something? Hamilton like Dynamics, yeah. Not even getting started on that. So, yeah, like they introduced it and then she died and nothing ever happened. Nothing, nothing happened to so, the company. No one's running it. All free technology, everybody. Um, also a fail. I think that like season two definitely has um, an opportunity to explore these things. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they actually do it with some thought versus like how they treated all that stuff in season one. I want to say before we move on that there's that weird little space in season one where it was like – Batwoman's coming out story and the police is like I don't want my kid being saved by a lesbian (laughs) (laughs) sir why (laughs) it was was like a little bit child life be saved (laughs) that that theme of you know like homophobia was a little bit too like hammered on on the the nail on the head but (laughs) they eventually got it together (laughs) (laughs) they let it go after like one episode (laughs) Somewhere to believe. <laughs> oh gosh! And speaking of of coming out stories, there was Sophie's coming out story, um, and then like that whole Sophie Kate Julia triangle, and Sophie having a husband, and that husband just going poof. Husband, that, why? Space. Why would you even start out? You know your OTP by chaining one to a husband, right? <laughs> it's just, it's at least a boyfriend. Me. You're like, okay, well they can or break. At up. least like a like a fiance. If you wanted to like yeah. assume it's serious, make them a fiance. Don't have them married already. Like, come on, what are you doing? Um, and like Sophie's uh, partly because of that, but a lot of Sophie's coming out story. Um, it's a love and hate relationship. I hated it up until the part where they decided to focus on it and have her, you know, come out. And, you know, Verse had, like, the flirt man with Batwoman and also coming out to her mom. 
then it started to get like open up and get really interesting. But it was like really frustrating because they would have her be almost like a Jacob mini Jacob in the sense that she was also supposed to be like an antagonistic role and not wanting Kate to become, um, to do anything like rash or, you know, she was the first person to, um, be to suspect that Kate was Batwoman. And, um, that caused like a lot of tension between them because they were also kind of like on the outs because they weren't together anymore. Um, and with that, we didn't get a lot of Sophie's, point of view like I think you could infer from her going so hard after Kate and wanting to stop the whole Batwoman thing because she sees like the you know how Jacob King uses Batwoman and then also um you know she doesn't want Kate to get her like she she wasn't on whatever year-long monk let me drown in the ocean <laughs> wherever she was during <laughs> that Kate was on she didn't know what Kate's doing so and uh, clearly Alice is crazy so a lot of Sophie's motivation for stopping Kate from being Batwoman has to deal with the fact that she still has feelings for Kate but we don't get to see that um and I feel like a lot of the you know it was really hard for Megan Tandy um and fans of Sophie in the beginning because fandom does what fandom does and they don't really take a lot of time to understand um, a black woman character's point of view um, unless it's like spelled out for them in bright flashing neon letters, which I think is when we start to get towards more of the Sophie and Batwoman flirt mans, um, more of that starts to come out. Um, and then you actually have her spell it out to her mom. And we see like in the flashbacks as well, like Sophie cited the flashbacks of, you know, not wanting to, you know, have Kate's white woman caucasity (laughs) standing up to like the military um, board and being like, I'm, I'm here. I'm queer kind of storyline. So like Kate can do that because one, Kate is rich and also Kate is white and dropping out of the military is not going to harm Kate in any kind of way. But Sophie is not the same. And um, I understand that because <laughs> I'm willing to see from Sophie's point of view. But I don't think a lot of the audience really did until we get to the, the point where she's coming out to like her mom. And the reaction that she gets from her mom is not a positive one. And... Um, you know, that happens sometimes in real life. So I think it was like a real choice to do for, for Sophie. Um, and I, I liked, I was really kind of, cause we had that one like close call with Reagan and Kate <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> and then they introduced Julia Pennyworth into the mix and Julia and Kate also had like a, a history together. So it's kind of like, and Julia is a more established Batverse character. So that had the potential to, to, annoy me even more but then it took like a nice a nice left turn um into julia and sophie and um it was interesting to see you know sophie with batwoman and having to kind of like hide in the dark versus her julia and having that grow um i really like their chemistry together i'm glad that julia's back for season two so i hope we get to see i don't know how kate disappearing changes their dynamic um but I would like for it to continue. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. 
Yeah, I would too. They have like a really nice chemistry and a really nice dynamic. Like, you know, as soon as they started interacting, you're like, and, and hanging out the hotel together, you're like, oh, I see what this is going. <laughs> and like the but, whole cheeseburger, like the case jealousy of them, like of Julia knowing like Sophie's favorite cheeseburger is like hilarious. And I love it. Cute. And I, I, you know, it's always fun with like the main characters, like super jealous of, of their love interests, like other relationship. <laughs> I remember that, that that other one jealous scene of Kate that I really liked was when um, Sophie was getting hit on at her bar. Her right. bar. <laughs> yeah, really I was hoping that lady would come back at some point, but she hasn't yet. So <laughs> she looked like that nosy neighbor, like sitting in the, in the middle, going, "Okay, what's happening here?" <laughs> that was really great. But like in terms of um, Sophie's coming out story, I completely agree. It was very frustrating at first because like. Megan Tandy kept like promising every episode. She's like, "It's gonna come. It's, gonna you know, it's come. happening. It's coming soon." And I'm like, "Wait, I can't wait till January." <laughs> <laughs> but when the time finally came, it did like explain a lot more about you know her backstory and like how she was feeling because I think like the first half of season one suffered the same way with what how the flash treated iris a little bit at first like we didn't really get a lot of her interiority like what was going on in her head how did she feel about these things um what did she do outside of work because my god exactly. <laughs> <laughs> always wearing the same suit oh my god i hated that crow suit <laughs> you know like it's not even a good to care like out, a go suit. like it's right it's not, it's not flattered. <laughs> yeah and just like you know people talking sort of at Sophie but Sophie not really responding to a lot of things and in a weird way like leaving people hanging like oh you know at one point her husband's like well you know what it is what do you want she doesn't respond then and there and it takes her like a little while to finally like open up and you know as a person you can understand her in that sense but like in narrative it would have been nice had she had like I don't know like a friend she could talk to outside of yeah, Kate. That, like that was the other thing. Like if she because her and Mary had like a little bit of because Mary was trying to be ride or die for Kate who did, obviously did not care about Mary. <laughs> but if she had like that avenue to be able to talk it out with Mary, that would be one thing that we could see on screen. Um, but no, I mean she can't talk to her husband. Like, honey, right? <laughs> and then he just disappears anyway. And Jacob, like, yeah, and she can't talk to Jacob at all. So, oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> oh, my god, no. um, but yeah, like, and then her husband disappears, and we don't even know if they're got it. They're getting. I think he, like, stuff, like, he just left. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Just up and just like he's gone. Second half of the like, season, which, we're just acting like they never, never yes, married. They ne- yeah, they never got married. Like retcon it, please. <laughs> <laughs> which was fine. And then, um, you know, I I really loved the episode when she did finally come out to her mom because it was very like powerful, and she had you know she spoke her piece and said everything that she needed to say to her mom and and the way that her mom reacted was like very realistic because it's not all parents are not going to react the same way to their child. Um, hoping of course that like she'll come around later on but just in general of like having Sophie feel empowered to you know be able to come out as a a woman living living the light of of who she truly was and be okay with that and we saw like immediately after that episode we saw her like teaming up with Batwoman and then like getting into relationship with Julia and kind of like feeling freer, like this weight had been lifted off of her shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really great to see. And, and then like had more, like just like make the flirt man's with Batwoman. Cause that 
one flirty episode they like kissed as a cliffhanger and then that one episode where there was like a like a rooftop date and then by the end of it kate was like i you need to go i can't do this you need to live in the light not with me in the dark so <laughs> you're like I why wish can't you be here for a little just, while longer yeah, a little while longer it's a couple episodes come on yeah yeah so i mean that but that episode was really nice and it really showed like her chemistry with with ruby and and all that and then her chemistry with julia and that whole dynamic because i think it added a, another layer to sophie and that like sophie was wanted she was desired she did she could have like relationships outside of kate like she wasn't just gonna hang around and but there was still like tension with her and, and kate like you knew that they were going to be endgame had ruby not like gone yeah. off <laughs> <laughs> and left and like one like one of the downsides i guess to this triangle uh, on the julia side was towards the end it got a little julia heavy like julia would be put in situations where sophie could have easily played a part um so that was like an issue um so hopefully they kind of work that out i mean now they don't really have to fight over kate so um and then julia has her own kind of like storyline with sophia yeah. In season but I two? do think that like Julia at least opening up to Sophie about what was going on, you know, like letting her in, mm-hmm. uh, like sets it up for season two for Sophie to be a lot like more involved with that storyline. Yeah. Great. I do like that Julia is very she's like seems to be like more open with Sophie than maybe Sophie had been used to like it. The, and I guess it goes back to what you're saying about this being like Sophie's first like open and out relationship. Um so there seems to be like a lot of like understanding there and Julia kind of letting Sophie go at her own pace kind of thing. So, yeah, I like them. And I know like some people um, are hoping to see Sophie um, hook up with Ryan and become like Ryan's like OTP. I'm not necessarily on board for sure with that. I mean, I guess, you know, like see how it develops or um, how it develops but I don't necessarily think that Sophie has to be Batwoman's, no matter who Batwoman is. True, Love true. Interest. Yeah. What would that ship name even be? Scion? Scion? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with that. I think at least, like, if they are going to go down that route, it would be nice for, you know, them to have, like, a little bit of a longer... I mean, it's, it's definitely has to be like you know, a slow burn. Yeah, getting no... to know each other yeah. for a while because, like, Ryan's new. She has to get her bearings, like, you know, form relationships with with everybody. So that'll take a little while. And I think that into season two, Sophie and Julia are still going to be a pair. So mm-hmm. that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that uh, goes. And then to the not so nice part, at least like not the fluffy feeling, Luke's revenge. <laughs> Which has to do with his um, the murder of I mean, of it was father. nice that he got a storyline yeah, at all. Because like that was another story. thing that was like, and <laughs> no joy in season one, is that he didn't seem to leave the Batcave or have any kind of, like, social life at all. Um, so this was a, a way to bring Luke into the story in more of a uh, frontman role and not, like, behind the scenes. Um, and the murder of his dad was tied into like the journal right and um sound society was it the the owl society or am i making that up i feel like that you know what i don't remember 
I feel I like it, think, yeah. I think it was the Allison side. But I check my memory, so. Just... Yeah, but like <laughs> the the whole, the guy that was framed for killing Lucius, um, the crows were actually behind that whole like setup in the fall guy. So that it, it unraveled this whole kind of mystery of the crows not being as clean as Jacob thinks they are. Like so that court, was court of owls. The court of owls. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, it was interesting from that perspective and also getting to see kind of like Luke's going through like the five stages of grief, basically of, you know, thinking that this man, um, killed his father and he deserves to stay in jail and to, you know, the possibility that maybe he was like wrongfully convicted and the killer, like the guy's a black man. So for me, I don't know if they meant to put this in there, but there's like that other kind of layer and Luke having to kind of like wrestle with, you know, hating this person or needing something, somebody to fix his anger at for his dad's death. And the fact that this person is probably not or isn't, the person that actually killed his dad. And there's that whole weird thing, the whole Jill arc with Jacob. And <laughs> the, the one that went nowhere. And you're like, I don't know yeah. what's happening. I think, I think cause he's, I think he was in jail because the guy that saved him was the guy that was on, you know, that had been convicted for killing Lucius. And so that part of that was to get him out of jail. So he could be killed outside of jail. So I don't know. Um, but it, you know, it was, it unveiled like another mystery um, in the storytelling. So that was cool. I agree. I, I definitely think that it gave like Luke his own story and now he has to figure out like what happened to his dad and what his dad was writing in the journal and basically like, yes, he can do this because that that's the whole message of yeah you know, him trying to figure out the journal and like, no, the answer is with him the whole time. So, you know, he's perfectly capable. Yeah, he's smart enough to be like his dad, you know, because there's this whole like huge shadow of, you know, not only the name of Lucius Fox, like publicly, but privately also as Batman's like behind the scenes guy mm-hmm. and having to live up to that. Yeah. So it was like nice for Luke to kind of get that validation and the validation that like, you know, Kate would be nothing without him. He is like the one that like sort of keeps everybody together in a way. He runs the ship. <laughs> yes. That's it was a big it was joy. Very nice. And especially since like it took him a while for, to trust her, you know, because he's like, well, you're not Batman. <laughs> so it took him a little bit. And then they finally got to like a really solid place, uh, which was really great. And, you know, Luke, like you could tell the whole season, Luke obviously looked up to his dad. Um, and, you know, obviously his death like really hurt him. And what was like frustrating was that he was so quick to not assume that anything was like fishy in terms of like that guy. Yeah. Like, he he didn't dig any deeper into it, considering he has all this, like, technology and, you know, he could just research extra things to, like, try to figure out. Yeah, there's sometimes that they made him seem, like, like not (laughs) a black man looking from this lens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, the black man's in prison for the death of your dad. The prison system isn't exactly a fair one. (laughs) So, like, hmm, Gotham is corrupt. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, so yeah, they could have like gone that down that avenue, and it sucks that like that guy had to die for Luke to just have like a light bulb moment um, and be like, hey, something is something weird is going on here. Um, but at least like in t- going into season two, he does have like his own storyline and his own mystery, and you know how that all ties in with everything else. <clears throat> I mean, remains to be seen, but like it's nice that he is no longer just you know the cool sidekick that you get to have and hopefully even like i don't know his uh, blossoming relationship with mary so we'll see about that um and then of course there's the death of the mouse and how that like segues into the rise of tommy elliott aka hush aka fake bruce <laughs> and like his relationship with alice and how that kind of like rose and fell in one season yeah i feel like that's you know it's it was an interesting dynamic it was not a, like i didn't love Alice and Mouse or whatever, but I was thinking it's like an interesting parallel comparing her relationship with Mouse to her relationship with Kate. Um, and it's just kind of weird because it's like Alice and Mouse both kind of bonded under the mutual um, umbrella of abuse that they suffered at that house. So there's kind of like friendship forged through fire kind of thing. Um and there's also like this weird kind of it is kind of like a roller coaster of like their power dynamic because I remember in the beginning of the season, it seemed like Mouse was more manipulative of Alice. Like Alice is a little bit too like off center and Mouse is like running the the scenes the show behind the scenes kind of thing. But then as we got towards like more of the latter half of the season, Alice is definitely the one that is in charge and running the madhouse and um more of what Mouse wanted was, like, safety and stability. So, like, when they get thrown into Arkham, he doesn't want to leave. Like, this, you know, this is their house and their paradise and and everything like that. Um, So, so, and that is not what Alice wants. So you see their kind of, their similarities and the things they have in common, they start to kind of, like, split apart towards the end of the season. And, um, you know, for Alice, that's when she gets in partnership with like Tommy Elliot and Hush and this whole kind of plan that they have to kill Kate and uh, Mouse is like not about that life anymore. He's like, I, we have a home right here. Why can't <laughs> we stay right here? Um, so his death episode, that scene was really, really, really sad. And it was kind of shocking also that, you know, it's because it, it represents kind of like a, uh, graduation for Alice or like a, a death of Alice, um, that part of her. Um, so it, it's kind of like shows like how far she is actually willing to go down this road. And maybe as an audience member, um, you still thought maybe there's some kind of way that she could turn around, become like an anti-hero or whatever, but it kind of feels like when she killed mouse, like she killed off that part of her. Um, and she seems to suffer for it in the last episodes, of, you know, feeling very untethered like mouse tethered what was left of humanity and now that's gone um and, and now we tommy elliott made me so mad <laughs> like he's gonna be <laughs> and i'm just so like it reminds me um i can't remember which comic it it is like which issue but like there's a batman beyond storyline where um these people like the joker gang or whatever they have like bruce's body and they're like pretending like they they are um 
they have him like dressed up as like the Joker and basically holding him his body hostage and it kind of feels it's it's very like it's very infuriating because like you know they've made him into the joker this new joker um but it's like bruce and he he can't you know they just have his body um (laughs) and that's kind of like what it feels like here because like bruce isn't here to defend himself and now (laughs) tommy ellie i hate that tommy ellie is winning and getting like everything that he wanted in life to be bruce wayne and have access to all of bruce especially since he knows or has highly suspected that bruce is batman and now like we've seen the season two um premiere pictures of bruce wayne actually in the bat cave um so it's just going to be like I I hope that you know he does something not Bruce like <laughs> that tips him <laughs> off pretty quickly because I cannot handle this. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a big like surprise. You're like, oh my god, they're not going to bring in like quote unquote Batman. They're like, oh shit, they are. <laughs> but it's not Batman. So but it's, it's not case. Batman. Loophole. <laughs> <laughs> so that part was great but yeah i completely agree about mouse i mean like you know for the first half of the season they established his relationship with alice and how they sort of relied on each other against uh or you know relied on each other while they were living with like this very abusive uh, father and how that just forged their relationship and, and brought them closer together to the point where like they had a really unhealthy codependency on each other but also like mouse was one of the last people to care about genuinely care about alice um and like want a home with her and finally want to get away because you know you saw how they were both very influenced by alice in wonderland and all of that's all everything in that story and so like when he by the time they like switched places and she was so you know dead set on trying to kill kate to the point of like needing to kill mouse a man who's like her a brother to her you know did you know kill a part of her in terms of any humanity she had left he was the only person who actually the last person who cared for her and now she's kind of turned the corner into full-blown villain territory like there's no there's nothing left of her old life because mouse was like that last piece of her old life um even if it was like a bad one he was that person she could always rely on the fact that she was willing to sacrifice him like said a lot about how far she's willing to go to like exact her revenge and how dark and she's now gotten. Kate is not there so she can't and now, Kate is not there, so now she's gonna be pissed <laughs> <laughs> and then just the whole you know interestingly enough this is sort of like another triangle between like mouse alice and tommy in terms of mm-hmm. um how it escalated where like mouse is the past and tommy is like the future where alice is trying to go exactly and like mouse was feeling like he was getting replaced by tommy and it's like well you're paying attention to this man because he's going to give you what you want i'm just left here to want a happy life and you can't you don't want happiness at all (laughs) you just want chaos um and so like alice and um hush pretty much had a more solid relationship after they escaped um, Arkham because of that like chaos and Mouse was kind of like left behind became like a merry figure from the early season one so that was really really sad when he died to be honest like I, I completely agree because it was a really shocking moment and it's something mm-hmm. that was completely unexpected because I legit thought he was going to make it into season two and they were just going to continue on but the fact that she did that was just tragic <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and now you have now you have fake Bruce, you know. So there you go. Um, and in terms of like a season one, what would you give Batwoman? You know, like I would be generous and I would give it a B plus, A minus. Like it started off like really, really rocky. <laughs> but I think there were a lot of episodes in throughout the season that kind of surprised me how good they were. Um, they had a lot of good like storylines and villains, you know, Alice basically dominated. Um, and then I think towards the end, Hush, Tommy Elliott um, also provided some color. There were some bad villains like <laughs> Reagan and her sister that whatever bird whatever girl was yeah <laughs> but like overall I think that there were a lot and like there's some cringy storytelling elements that they chose to go with um but overall I think it was a lot better than what the pilot led me to believe that it was going to be so I think I think like a b plus yeah b plus yeah. a minus I would give a solid b uh, because I agree about the like the beginning, the pilot was atrocious. It was hard. <laughs> it was very like I cringed watching it, and it was just very painful. I think I, I fell asleep. To cringe. <laughs> I fell asleep at um, Comic Con, but like to be fair, I had also traveled a lot, and so I was like jet lagged. <laughs> and the seats aren't comfortable there. <laughs> the seats, so. yeah, yeah, but you know. Yeah, but it really picked up, like, I think that the story went in directions that I never expected it to go in terms of how they used Crisis to bring back uh, a Beth from another world. Oh, yeah, and that was great. The the storylines about, you know, once it finally picked the up. The only thing that I didn't like about that Beth storyline is that they didn't take the opportunity to have Beth say that Sophie was. Right. <laughs> like, why bring her back if not to do that? I know. <laughs> you hinted at it. Just go all the way. Yes. <laughs> so yeah that that part sucked but like that exploration of of what kate and alice's you know relationship had she not been taken would have looked like so that was great and then the whole hush dynamic with uh fake bruce at the end and that twist so it really ended on a high note versus Mm -hmm. like it it is you know the most improved show honestly of 2020 so that was really great so good for you batwoman um and then like in another plot twist (laughs) kate (laughs) kane is no more uh ruby rose getting into side b new beginnings uh ruby rose basically left batwoman about a like a week or she announced that she was leaving uh, and she wasn't coming back for season two about a week after the season finale and it was very shocking because this has never happened in the Arrowverse where Lee just up and leaves Lives. their post. Um, and basically she, you know, there's a lot of reasons why she left, but she didn't really seem like thrilled about the role. And there was a lot that had to go into it. And I don't think she really saw herself being nine months out of the year. Yeah. yeah. So for so long and having to train in terms of um, action sequences and her injury and just a lot of things. So instead of, you know, after we all got over the shock of her leaving to begin with. Then and then there was some shade. Of, like there's some messiness. Because some, yeah, some and people the writers, on Twitter are like writers are really messy about uh, her decision to leave. Yeah. Because as soon as that news broke, on. it was like they were subtweeting. They were cackling. It was really, really odd. And a, a few of these people weren't even direct writers. Like they weren't Batwoman writers. But a, a couple of them were Arrowverse writers. And then another one was a journalist journalist. yeah Yeah, so it was really really shady clearly like this had been in the works for some time and there was some drama probably um 
So it was just all unfortunate. But then like Ruby clarified, uh, or at least she like posted a fan video at first. And then she clarified later about like why she really wasn't coming back. And I don't think she ever, she didn't say specifics. She just she didn't, um, but she said like, if you know, you know, or something like yeah. that. <laughs> so something know, went so. on there. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically like she, she left, but also they insinuated that she was sort of fired at the same time. So yeah. Clearly, they both sides did not want to each army other. hammer situation where she helped herself. They helped her help herself out. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and then, of course, like it was the question of how are they going to do this? Season two of Batwoman is confirmed. They're going through with it. Are they going to bring the just are they just going to recast Kate Kane or are they going to actually come up with a new character and see how that goes? A lot of people, we, we also thought they would just cat recast, but they actually came up with a completely different character, an original character that yeah. is not. I think someone- like some of the, um, like, um, when Anon was, like, asking us, like, you didn't like Ryan Waller at first, so what ha- what changed? <laughs> and I feel like, like, part of the the whole with us, it would have, it just didn't really make sense the way, it's Carolyn Drys is not explaining what she was trying to do. She didn't explain her vision very well. Yeah. It just kind of seemed, like, very odd to you know, drop Kate's story when you just kind of like picked it up and then be like, we're going to go in this whole new direction and come up with a whole new Batwoman. So she didn't really make it sound attractive. <laughs> she but, did. And it yeah. was like very confusing because, you know, there were fans who were like, oh my God, so does that mean they're going to kill off Kate? And she was like, no, that's not what's going to happen. So she had to like clarify a few things over, over the course of like two months before everything was sort of solidified. Up until like Javicia's um, casting. So it was just very touch and go. We didn't really know where it was going to go. And then um, they came up with Ryan Wilder. Who was like an original character to the show. Who has who had oh, not originally. Her character description was not great either. Yeah, it, so, I think in, in the beginning they had her like a drug runner. Yeah it was basically like littered with stereotypes. And I mean like. Yeah. From what we've heard about the first episode, it's still littered with stereotypes. <laughs> I will. We can get into that in a minute, but yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of like casting, they did cast a Javicia Leslie, who used to be on like God Friended Me and a bunch of other stuff. Um, I cannot list off the top of my head, but she seems excellent. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything, but she seems like a very solid uh, actress. I don't know if you've ever seen any of her other work. No, I didn't watch God Friended Me. But she seems like, you know, she's got a good head on her shoulder. She was very, like, she has, she seems like she's got this, like, great energy. She's very excited about being Batwoman. Every, you know, news blew up. Fans got really excited in terms of, like, her being a black woman, being bisexual representation, and then obviously still having that LGBTQ representation on screen as Batwoman. So that was really great in terms of, like, representation. And then um, in terms of Ryan Wilder, what we know so far about her is some pretty sad stuff (laughs) apparently you know she her dad was absent her whole life her mother died at childbirth um she grew up with an adopted mom who was then later killed by a gang and then she had a boyfriend who was it a boyfriend or was it a boyfriend because i feel like she's a a lesbian yes that's true sorry i was thinking of her as a bisexual she's not on the show um, she was with someone who was uh, doing drugs and then she got arrested for the drugs that she was not using. And so when she comes out, she has like a very, she's against like what 
the cops are not doing, I guess, in terms of uh, cleaning up the streets for the drug problem. <laughs> so there's a lot going on here in terms of um, certain certain stereotypes and, and racial biases. What do you what do you think about her story so yeah, far? Yeah, I do. I do think like there's a lot going on. Um, I'm choosing to look at it from like a different angle. It, obviously, it all depends on how it all plays out on screen. Um, but they're from what I've seen people's reactions to the first episode and what we've kind of seen of some of the trailers of like the behind the scenes, I feel a little bit better about it in the sense that Ryan's personality doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to be like angry black woman. It seems more like an underdog kind of story. Like she's still very goofy. She's still very believes in justice and um, like there was one scene where she was in like a, a bodega or something like that and it was getting robbed and she stepped up to the plate that kind of thing and her jail sentence she didn't have the drugs she, they were not her drugs your honor <laughs> <laughs> so she's like an innocent person that's been put in the system um you know and they they said they're going to bring up the whole like racial bias of how um unfair it is that she was even serve time for a crime that she didn't commit um so you know there are those things that i feel like feel very comic booky um like a lot of superheroes they are the underdog of society like bruce orphan <laughs> dick his parents got murdered um you know superman orphan sent to earth you know, a lot of it's, there's kind of like similarities that orphans. I see. Yeah, there's a lot of orphans <laughs> in superhero comics. Um, and then I feel, you know, with the her dad that said that he died before she was born, and then like her mom died during childbirth, and then her adopted mom with like the gang stuff that leads into like the false face oh, society. Her dad died. I thought he was just gone. I think he was. I think I read somewhere, and maybe it comes out in the premiere that he died before she was born or he was just gone before she was born. But, you know, how does she know? Because she was a baby. She doesn't know for sure. And as far as we know, like maybe her her adopted mom was just, like, hiding the truth to protect her because, you know, that's another thing that comes up a lot in comics. So I'm still, like, riding on the bandwagon that she's related to Bruce um, just because I think that would be a nice way to kind of tie in the legacy that, you know, Ryan was always meant to come into the the mantle at some point in her life, Mm -hmm. you know, I think would be like a cool way to tie her to Kate and kind of pass Kate's legacy on through that way as well. So it doesn't feel so much as, you know, we're replacing lesbians with, you know, like the bat suit is not interchangeable in that way. Yeah. Um, That there is kind of like a family connection still going on there. I think that would be nice. Um, so I'm I'm not as and she's like she's not a drug addict. Her mom, as far as we know, isn't a drug addict, unless it was her mom's drugs, which I doubt. But the fact that you know her adopted mom was murdered by the False Face Society, and she has this kind of sense of you know even though like life has knocked her down so much that she wants to still do the right thing, the just thing. I feel like is very superhero comic booky origin story. Um, but then, you know, the fact that she is a black woman and that you have all of these different kind of factors, um, I think it depends on how that comes out in the storytelling. So, yeah, 
I'm yeah, still I waiting. To see mode. I think I, I feel the same way. Like I, I read that. I'm like, mm, I don't know. But then it's I, blood. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, but then, you know, thinking back on how many times or how many interviews like JVC has given so far and kind of like her talking about discussions she's had with Caroline Dries and kind of even in terms of like her suit and how much input she had in it it makes me hopeful that the story was discussed beforehand and you know given how hopefully that it, it's portrayed in a way where it's not like there's there's a kind of a, a theme here that where she does come out on top and she is more hopeful and you know all this other stuff um makes me hopeful that she had input into the story to make sure it wasn't it didn't yeah. necessarily lean into like the stereotypes and stuff like that and they have at least one black woman in the writer's room mm-hmm. i remember yeah i think i think they actually have um two two yeah based on like what i've read too in terms of like poc reviewers and stuff like that it doesn't seem terrible yeah. so i so trust that's, that's that what I'm saying. Like, it, I, yeah. I feel better about like the situation just from some of the reviewers and how um they're reacting to seeing this ryan play out on screen and the fact that she does seem you know really kind of goofy and um not as put down upon as how her situation would, would you would think that someone like that would, would feel or would be. So, yeah, absolutely. So hoping we don't have long to wait before we all find out anyway. <laughs> so hopefully all will be well. And of course, along with Ryan, there's a lot of new characters coming into season two. Um, obviously we have like Ryan and her, how she establishes her relationships with existing characters like Luke, Sophie and Mary. And then we have um, Ocean, Sophia Sohail, who will be the new villain of the season. She was kind of Ocean like. Ocean and Sophia Sohail are two different characters. Yeah. Okay, I, I thought you were saying Ocean separately. Ocean Sophia's hell. I mean, that would be a cool name. <laughs> um, so she's going to be like sort of the big bat of the season, and she's coming from a background where she has like a, probably a vengeance against Julia who got away, and I don't know, there's something going on there. There's a mystery. Um, so she'll show up in Gotham, and she ob- obviously has like history there with Julia and how all that will unfold we will sh- we shall see and then there is another character called the whisper aka tatiana not our tatiana but another tatiana <laughs> um black mask which is very exciting they released pictures of him um and then victor zaz who obviously i think like i completely forgot he was going to be in season two but he is there which is also exciting so we get two victor zazes within the year <laughs> from birds of prey and um, black and then- mask and black mask yes and then of course quote unquote Bruce Wayne who is obviously Tommy Elliot as Bruce Wayne so like that's very exciting to me personally because like just to see how a Bruce Wayne will be in the show but the audience knows that he's not actually Bruce Wayne but then he's gonna be interacting with like Gotham citizens and the bat yes. team oh so my god he's gonna fuck up Bruce's whole life <laughs> <laughs> like, where is his are his credit cards I want oh my god everything and then hope you know, especially now that Kate's not there anymore. Yeah, Kate like, would be the only one that could brain. that could like prove that it's not actually Bruce Wayne, and she's not there. Yeah, Kate, <laughs> interesting. So, like, what are your favorite new or like which characters are you most anticipating seeing on screen? 
I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously, the one, I guess, the one that I am most interesting to see how this is going to play out is obviously um, Tommy Elliot. Elliot. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy Elliot as Bruce Wayne. Because I want to know, like, how long he's able to play this game without anybody figuring out. Or, like, will Alice just, like, spill the beans because she's frustrated? I don't know. But I want to know. Because I don't want him, like, touching all of Bruce's things. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, who's the bad jet? <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited to see Warren Christie in, in the role. Because we only got, like, that sliver of him in the the truncated finale um, season one. So I'm excited to see him uh, flesh out that role and do more for it. So I think that'll be great. Um, Black, Mac- Black Mask and Victor's Ass, I think, will be interesting because we got both versions of those in Birds of Prey. So it'll be interesting to see how they differ in what ways. I wonder if, um, because initially when we had Ryan's story, Scarecrow was supposed to be a, sparse, a part of season two, and Scarecrow was connected to her mom's, uh, her adopted mom's death. And now it's Black Mask and his false face society. Um, so interesting to see how that story develops and um i think it'll be it i feel like we're getting like a whole like a like it's halloween and we're getting like a whole bunch of like new villains as like treats and season one was like so heavily alice that it's kind of you know where were all of these bad guys <laughs> in season one <laughs> um but it'll, i think it's gonna be a lot a lot is fun because you know we don't have that same dynamic uh, that we have between Alice and Kate, like two people that knew each other intimately. We have a whole new um, Batwoman. So you've got like all these new characters to kind of breathe some more life, I think, into Gotham as well. So a lot of new dynamics. Um, Sophia, I'm not really sure. Um, I like, you know, because she keeps Julia around. I wonder how she will play into um, the overall season because I know she's supposed to be a, a big bad but I feel like Big Mask was the other big bad Big Mask Black Mask <laughs> was the other <laughs> big bad so I wonder if they're going to do like a um, you know 2A 2B type situation or how are they just going to be because Black Mask we already have photos of him so he's already like around mm-hmm. and he's a central part of Ryan's story so do we have like two you know, and I think we never did solve the whole mystery behind Lucius's murder and the group behind that. So right. all of that is kind of like um, coming out and, and into play. And then Ocean, he, he had the least amount of information about him. We just know that he's yeah, like he just sounded like a regular person. guy, <laughs> right? I just know that he's hot. So <laughs> I mean, like you know, hope hopefully you know, maybe he is of interest to Mary. Maybe he's the third part of that eventual Hamill Fox triangle. I don't know. Maybe Alice gets a boyfriend. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. I feel like if Alice got a boyfriend, he would have to be a villain like oh her. There's no way. <laughs> or maybe think because the- he's like a Zen gardener, so maybe he like chills That's her true. the fuck out. I don't know. <laughs> He'll be like the yin to her yang. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I already mentioned like that I'm excited for uh, Tommy Elliott's Bruce Wayne, but I think the second uh, most exciting villain to me is definitely Sophia. Cause like other than her, whatever her relationship to, to Julia is, she's also going to be 
uh, coming after Alice, which is exciting because like season one, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Alice was pretty much the villain of Gotham. Everyone was terrified of her. She just kind of did whatever she wanted. But now she has someone she actually fears. So I think that would really, really interesting to dig into like yeah, how Alice got involved with her and like what happened there and how, you know, Alice even got to the point of having her own like cronies and stuff like that. So that history between them will be interesting to uh, play out on, to watch play out on screen. I just want to see like Alice and Ryan's dynamic because. Oh, because she's going to be pissed at like Ryan for not being Kate. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. (laughs) So that'll be interesting. And then also like just, um, I think it was, uh, I think it was teased that like Mary and Alice are sort of going to have like this, Interesting dynamic like a, too. Now that case not there. I think there was um, maybe like a mini trailer or something that came out on like the Batwoman Twitter that kind of uh, alluded to like a Mary and um, Ryan friendship, and you know Mary being the champion for Ryan to take on the mantle of Batwoman because we know like Luke is going to be like, uh-uh. <laughs> of course, <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm so like, distrustful. No, <laughs> no I don't think so. yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of sort of leans into maybe the idea that Mary and Ryan do know each other. Like you said, you know, she could have been a, like a medical drug runner. Yeah. So that, that would be, I like that angle. Yeah. So characters we're most looking forward to predictions of how some things will turn out from like leftover storylines from season one, or like even about Kate's disappearance, like how she disappeared. I have no idea because <laughs> they weren't planning on her disappearing by the time that we got to the finale, uh, what wound up being the finale. So I have no idea how that will work. Um, I don't, and I, I don't know how, I want to say, you know, how the, the Bruce Wayne will work. Cause I feel, I feel like eventually within the first, maybe within the first episode, even first episode or two, Somebody finds out that he's not Bruce Wayne because I don't think he's going to be fooling people for that long. So now he is just like openly not Bruce Wayne to them, but still like Bruce Wayne to Gotham. And that kind of tension of people trying to convince Gotham that this is not Bruce Wayne. Like, it looks just like Bruce Wayne. What are you talking about? <laughs> so I feel like that, that could be something that's also like very entertaining for the season and how he wreaks havoc on the front side even though he's not fooling them anymore um yeah that does sound really exciting (laughs) (laughs) other than that i mean like for me i don't know i'm kind of i kind of like just going in blind and not knowing too much about what's going to happen because there's it definitely makes it feel more exciting um because we don't, we don't, other than like descriptions we've given, we don't know anything, which is great. So I don't know. I will enjoy we'll watching like when it comes out. Right. Yeah. So if, but if you, if you guys do have any predictions and you would like to send us any feedback, um, you can do so at ladieswgumption at gmail.com or ladieswgumption.tumblr.com. Um, and of course, this wraps up our episode, our pre Batman Batwoman. <laughs> Batman and Batwoman, I guess, now (laughs) Uh, talk. And we will be back next week to discuss the actual episode when it finally airs and to kind of just, 
dig into all the character dynamics and all that jazz when we finally find out a few of the actual details that will happen. So until next week, fare thee well. Bye.